Welcome back to our study of the book of Proverbs, and we are still in chapter 5, but we're making progress. Now remember, when I'm teaching these things, um, my desire is not to move swiftly or just to expound the text and be done with it. I'm, I'm sort of teaching you in the same way that I, I taught my own children. We may look at a verse and then go on to many other verses outside of the book of Proverbs, uh, because the key here is to learn. It's to learn. And not just learn, but to learn so that we might be transformed. And in being transformed, we glorify God, but we also preserve our own souls. This is very, very important. So let's begin. We're going to be looking at verses 7 and 8. And uh, so I'm going to read from 1 to 8 in chapter 5 of Proverbs. My son, give attention to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding so that you may observe discretion and your lips may reserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey and smoother than oil is her speech. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold of shield. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways are unstable. She does not know it. Now then, my sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your feet, keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. And I pray, dear God, that you would use this time for the benefit of the young people and even their parents that might be listening. Oh God, that they would know your son savingly and that in knowing him and trusting him, they would also learn to walk in a manner that was circumspect and that would bring glory to you. Oh God, we are in such need of your help. Please help us, Lord. Please grant us wisdom not just for our sake, but for Christ's sake, that we might glorify him here on this earth. And I ask all of this in his name, his precious name. Amen. Now, let's read again verse 7 and 8. Now then, my sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of of her house. Now, what we have in verse 7 is very similar to what we had in verse 1 and 2. It's a repetition. But why is there a repetition? Well, sin's deserving of a repetition. In what way? Sin, there's nothing more deadly on the planet. There's, no, there's nothing more deadly anywhere than sin. And if the Bible warns us and warns us again and again and again and again, there's a reason for it. There is a reason for it. I've written here, sin of any kind is so dangerous that multiple warnings are appropriate. Also, never complain when your parents, with regard to this matter, appear to be nagging you. Um, love is patient. Love is kind. Um, 
I'm not gonna add to scripture, but I can say this, love will also nag. Love will cry out to you, it will call to you, it will say, please don't do this. For the sake of Christ, don't do this. For your own sake, do not do this. When I used to take my young boys uh, hunting, in, uh, especially in an area that was swampy, I would warn them over and over, be careful where you step, because we had a certain kind of snake called a cottonmouth or a water moccasin, very ugly, nasty snake, very venomous. Be careful how you're walking. Look up, make sure you don't run into a tree. Look up, make sure you don't spook any animals. Look down, look at your feet. Where are you walking? Or if you're hunting on the ground, make sure before you even think about getting up, look to your left and right, make sure nothing's come up on you. You see? And that warning was given over and over and over and over again. Why? Because a water moccasin can be deadly. A cotton mouth can be extremely deadly. And so the warning is appropriate. You know, the only thing that can ruin your life is sin. And so that if in chapter seven, he seems to almost repeat what we have in verse one and verse two. Well, it's 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 necessary. Now, he says, now then, my sons. Now, then. What does that mean? Well, first of all, when he says my sons, the idea is my sons and my daughters. Daughters are just as precious as sons in God's eyes or in their father's eyes. Um, and both are susceptible to sin. Sometimes we think boys are so reckless and so foolish, and they are, trust me. Young ladies, trust me. Um, but girls can also be reckless and foolish. And it seems that as the years go by, that girls are gaining ground on the guys with regard to recklessness and foolishness. So when he says, so now then, he says, keeping in danger with the nature of sin, knowing how dangerous sin can be, he pleads with them, listen to me, listen to me, please listen to me. Now, he says, my sons, again, this is a plea of affection for sons, for daughters, a plea of affection. Um, the normal parent, the normal parent, not the extraordinary parent, but the normal parent, that they're going to love their children. They're going to love their sons and love their daughters and they want the best for them. And I can tell you that the best for you is to know God through knowing his son and to follow God by following his son. And you follow his son by following his word. I, I've put here again, this is a plea of love or affection. The parent is older and wiser. He knows the dangers of sin and how tempting it is. He has witnessed a seemingly endless trail of victims. 
I have. I have seen an endless trail of victims, of people who gave themselves to sin, of people who neglected the gospel, who did not believe in Jesus Christ. I've seen them mourn their end or in their life defiant and still with their fists clenched in the face of God. You do not want to be that way. It's amazing how sin can not only destroy a life, but harden a life. Remember a dear friend talking to me about a man that he had witnessed to so many times. And as the man was laying on his deathbed, he still had his fist literally clenched and cursing God. Sin is deadly. And it leaves a trail. I mean, everyone who has died has somehow it goes back to sin. Death entered into the world through the sin of Adam. And death can come early. And so you, you always need to be realizing this, that when when your father or your mother pleads with you, don't do this thing that is contrary to Scripture. It's not that they're trying to ruin your day or steal your joy. It's they want your day to be great and they want your joy to be full. And the only way for that to happen is through the one who's the ultimate source of joy. God, through his son. Now, he says, listen to me. Look. Now then, my sons, listen to me. It, it's as though the first time he said it, it, it was like, you know, he, he looks at his child and says, listen to me. And now it's almost as if he's reaching out now and grabbing him by the shirt collar or grabbing her by the shirt collar, pulling them in close and saying, please, please listen to me. On this matter, if you don't listen to me about anything else, please listen to me with regard to the danger of sin and the danger of putting yourself in a place where you can be tempted by sin of any kind. So and remember, when he says, listen, when he says, listen, in Hebrew, the idea there is not just, oh, you hear and it goes in one ear and out the other. You heard uh, phonics, you heard, you heard sounds. That, that, that's not the point. Listen is to obey. He's saying, please obey me. No, dad, um, you're old. I'm not sure you know what you're talking about. Now think about that for a moment. So let's say that you have a, uh, a surgeon, a successful surgeon who's been practicing surgery for 20 years. And then you have a kid who wants to be a surgeon and he's in his first day of undergraduate, not medical school, but his undergraduate. He's a freshman in college. Is he going to let's say a surgeon talks to him. Is he going to tell that surgeon, you know, surgeon, you've been practicing for 20 years. I, I don't think you know what you're talking about. I need to trust me. Is he going to do something like that? Absolutely not. Everyone would think that would be laughable, but that's exactly what we do morally, isn't it? The older generation has nothing to say to us. Okay, they've lived like 40 years longer than you, and they have nothing to say to you. You were born your generation with some incredible knowledge that just is inherent that you didn't even have to acquire. Is that it? Or you watched maybe a few, I don't know, Instagram clips. Come on. 
Think about it. When someone older, especially someone older who has studied the scriptures and has walked the scriptures says, listen to me. Or someone who um, has been devastated by sin or has watched others devastate themselves by sin. And they said, look, you don't even have a clue how horrible this can go. You need to listen. Listen to me, which means hear me, obey. Now, let me say this. When someone speaks that way, you need to at least take attention. But here's the important thing. If they're going to call you to obedience, you need to make sure that it's not their opinion and it's the word of God. And parents, you need to realize something. They don't obey just because you say obey. They obey because what you're saying is biblical and it can be shown in the scriptures. That we all need to submit our life to the scriptures, which means we need to grow in the scriptures. We need to study the scriptures. Now. He says here, now, my sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. I've written here, it is not enough to start well. But we must also continue and finish well. You see, he goes, don't just receive my words, but once you receive them, do not depart from them. Do not. And you think, okay, I won't. No, you need to realize something. There's going to be so many voices and so many images and so many opinions put before you that it will be so easy to forget God's word. And even though you started well, everything starts becoming blurry. Remember that frog? Little by little by little by little. You give in to sin. Let's say that you're walking with with Christ, you're you're studying the word, you're renewing your mind, and then all of a sudden you give in a little to sin. And it afflicts your conscience, but you keep you stay there. Guess what? Every day passes, it, it, it inflicts your conscience, afflicts your conscience just a little bit less until it doesn't bother you anymore. And then you go to a deeper sin and a deeper sin. And one day you're practicing things without any sorrow in your heart that before would have made you vomit. Yeah, I used a strong word, but you need to understand that this is serious. He says, do not depart from the words of my mouth. Now, if you're sitting there going, I love God, I will not depart from his word. Well, that's good that you've made that commitment, but You need to be a little more humble about it. Because even those who do have a great conviction about following God's word, we're all capable of losing our way. We're all capable of stumbling. If there's one thing you learn as you grow in the years, that all you have is the grace of God. The the older you get, you you don't get more confident in your wisdom. You don't get more confident in your obedience. As a matter of fact, you become less confident and more dependent upon renewing your mind in the word of God because you know you can stray even after all these years. And so the one who thinks he's going to stand, he needs to be afraid lest he fall. And I want to direct your attention to 1 Corinthians 10, 11 and 12. 
He says, now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the end of the ages have come. Now, let's just look at that for a moment. Paul is talking about um, the account of the Old Testament, the account of the history of Israel, of the people of God, the things that they went through, the trials, the temptations and their failures. He said, now, these things happen to them as an example. We see when Israel gives itself to idolatry, how it's defeated by its enemies, how it tears itself apart, it loses its unity, it ends up exiled. That happened to them because of disobedience, but it should be an example to us. It should be an example to us. He said it was written for our instruction. God gave us the Old Testament in one sense, not only that we should know him, but that we would know us and that we would see the dangers of sin. Show me one place in the Old Testament where people sinned and it went well for them or people turned themselves over to other gods and things were just fine. You won't find it. In every case, you will find that those who drew near to temptation fell into temptation. Those who fell into temptation and sin, their life was hurt. In varying degrees. And not just individuals, but also the entire nation suffered sometimes for the sin of just one person. And he says this was written for us. Now, listen, there's an extraordinary statement Paul makes that describes you if you're a Christian, all of us as Christians, upon whom the end of the ages have come. Well, you know, people talk about we're living in the last days. Well, that's true. But what you need to understand is we've been living in the last days for uh, nearly 2000 years. The last days began with the coming, the life, the death the resurrection and exaltation of the Son of God. On the day of Pentecost, uh, when Peter quotes Joel, he says, in the last days, that God would pour forth his spirit. We're in the last days. We are the most privileged people on earth in that in, in Israel, they were looking forward, looking forward through shadows and types, trying to see what will the Messiah be like? What will the salvation be like when he comes? You and I know what Messiah is like and what he's accomplished, not just for Jew, but also for Gentile. We know it. This is the time. This is the great time to be alive and to follow God. We're a privileged people. And we need to listen. Because look at verse 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. Do you uh, think you can fall? If you say no, you're very, very foolish. You're anti-biblical. You're contradicting scripture. The Bible says that we can all fall. And that's why we do not trust in ourselves. We do not trust in the arm of the flesh. We trust in the word of God and we pray for God's power. Well, let's go on. And here, if we're truly going to follow God, here is a point that you've really got to take hold of. Look at verse eight. 
keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. This could also be keep your way far from him. Now, if you notice, you may be feeling bad. He's talking about the adulteress, the adulteress, but it also refers to anyone, male or female, that is tempting us to do anything contrary to the will of God. Also, you need to understand something. Immorality is represented by a woman. You say, well, I have a problem with that because men are immoral. Yes, men are immoral. But what you need to understand also, we're going to see that uh, wisdom, God's wisdom, is also represented by a woman. Okay? So it's applying to all of us. And he says, keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. And I've written here, you need to listen to this. You are not called upon to fight close quarters, close quarters, hand-to-hand combat, you know, just the sin is right here. You're not called upon to fight that way, but you're called upon to stay as far away as possible from sin and the temptation of sin so that you do not have to engage in battle. A wise man, when he sees evil coming down the street, he's going to turn away. Even if you do what scripture says and turn away from temptation, you avoid it, you turn down another street, you don't put yourself in harm, it's still going to be a battle. So don't make the battle worse. Now, look what it says in verse eight. And again, here's a Hebrew parallelism and the purpose is what? The purpose is, is to emphasize, to give extraordinary emphasis. Keep your way far from her. Okay, do not go near the door of her house. Not only do not go in her house, don't even get on the same street. Do you see that? And if you do, do you know what you're doing? You're saying you're stronger than you actually are and you're tempting God. Even if you say, I'm going to go near, but God will protect me. God says, one of the ways I'm going to protect you is by telling you not to go near. Okay, very important. Now, I want us to look at just a few texts that really show us here. If you just turn over really quickly to Proverbs 7 and look at 6 through 10. Now, we'll study this later, but... Here's the wise man. He says, for at the window of my house, I looked out through my lattice and I saw among the naive, the simpleton, the fool and discerned among the youths. A young man lacking sense. Passing through the street near her corner and he takes the way to her house in the twilight, thinking no one can see him in the evening in the middle of the night and in the darkness and behold, a woman comes to meet him. Do you see that? He's doing the very opposite. And when we study this text later on, we're going to see that in the end, he's like an ox that goes to the slaughter, like an ox. Matter of fact, let's read it in verse 24 and 25. Or or verse 22 says, suddenly he follows her. As an ox goes to the slaughter or as one in fetters to the discipline of a fool until an arrow pierces through his liver as a bird hastens to the snare. So he does not know that it will cost him his life. 
And then it comes and follows in verse 24. Now, therefore, my sons, listen to me. See that? Listen to me. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths, for many are the victims she has taken down, and numerous are all her slain. Alexander the Great was known as one of the greatest commanders that ever lived. He did not take as many lives as sin. As a matter of fact, if you take all the armies of all the earth and all the wars, they did not take as many lives as sin has taken. Now, I want us to see a few verses. Just listen, 2 Timothy 2.22. Now flee from youthful lust. He's talking to Timothy, who's already a minister, and he says, flee from youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Now, let me say something to you because one day you will be married. Not only are you to run away from adultery and immorality in your marriage, but you're to run to your spouse. One of the greatest ways to protect your marriage is to delight in your spouse and cultivate a relationship with your spouse, a relationship that is so good, so strong, that if someone comes in from the outside, you won't want them. Now, whatever we do, we ought to do because it's what God commands, but we need to take every advantage we can. So if you are not pursuing righteousness, you're doing nothing. And an idle heart, well, that's a playground. For temptation, isn't it? So pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Pursue God's will. And it says, with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. If you want to avoid immorality, you also need to be in a community of faith and you need to surround yourself by godly people, with godly people, that will encourage you and act also as a wall of defense. So run from lust but run to righteousness. It's not good enough just to avoid sin. You need to be chasing after the righteousness of God, being conformed to the image of Christ. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20. Listen to these words from the Apostle Paul. Flee immorality. He told Timothy, flee youthful lust. Before sin is even conceived, don't even allow yourself to generate within your own heart these bad thoughts. Fill yourself up with righteous thoughts. But then in 1 Corinthians, flee immorality. Why? Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? who is in you, whom you have for God, and that you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. If you were to ask me, Brother Paul, what is the greatest motivation in your life for anything pertaining to walking with God? Well, it's not the results, even though the results of walking with God are pleasurable. It's not a reputation, even though a good name is a good thing. I want to walk in the commandments of Christ because of who Christ is and because of what he did. I'm not following a bunch of principles of life in order to get my best life now. 
I'm following a person who died for me, who bought me with his own blood. And why do we want to shun immorality and run away from it? Because we belong to Christ. We belong to him. And therefore, we don't, you know, draw near to immorality and the temptation of it and, and, uh, and fight it. We run away from it. Because that's what we're commanded to do. And because we do not, we do not trust ourselves. I'm going to finish with this. I heard a young man say this one time, basically. You know, I'm going to follow God. I'm not afraid. He fell. He should have been afraid. He should have been very afraid. And so should we. Not a paralyzing fear, not an anxiety, but wisdom that says avoid evil and especially immorality. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word, and I pray that you would use it in the life of these young people, O oh God. Oh, please, Lord, raise up a generation of those who fear thee, who bless thee, who serve thee, who love thee, who honor your Son. In Jesus' name, amen.